It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. Who do we got? Yes, you made a boo-boo. I did. Mm. I did. Mm. Boo-boo box. Ah! Yeah. Uh-oh, time for the boo box in the sport hall. The weekend is done. You think we're not watching. We think You think we're going to forget before Monday. Monday's judgment day. In the sport hole, and we've only we got one guy going to the boo box, right, Lawrence? Yes. What do we got? Skeeter Peters on the. Let's see, who do we have, Larry? You got the you got the audio. Okay, the person going to the boo box is somebody who's in the boo box constantly, and we screwed up the audio part, Larry. You have that somewhere? All right, go ahead. I just asked that in terms of the big picture, trying to keep Shadur upright, healthy, and the overall. The big picture, you go get new lineman. That's the picture. I'm going to paint it perfectly. All right. That is, uh, geez, we are pooching it here on a Monday, Larry. What the heck is going on? That's Dion. He's asked a hard question. Hey, your line sucks. Shadur got hit 17 times. He got sacked a million times. He got pressured two million times. What's up? And you respect Dion because he just says, we need to go get new linemen. Meanwhile, he's got to play five more games with these loser linemen that he has now before he can go restock the shelves. That's not why Dion's going to the boo box, Larry. The reason why Dion's going to the boo box is Dion Sanders was always the coolest cat in the NFL. He looked the coolest. He had the bandana. He had his chin strap unbuckled. All of that style stuff. He was cool. Everybody wanted to be prime time. Now, When it comes to being a coach, I found that he's not that. He's not about the style stuff necessarily. He's old school. People say, look, this guy might on the exterior seem flashy and self-promotional and in every Geico commercial in the break, but he's old school like Saban. He's authoritarian. He hammers people. I love that. Good job there, Dion. What I don't like is the last three minutes... In two score games with Dion, if he's down, he plays it cool. It's like he doesn't want to get caught trying when he's down. And that happened against USC a few weeks ago, and it happened this week at UCLA. You're down two possessions. There's three minutes left. You have three timeouts. Chip Kelly has dominated you. But the game is still somewhat in question. If we looked at ESPN's stats and info graph thing, UCLA would have a 96.4% chance of winning at that point. However, there's still three minutes left on the clock. Kelly has the ball. He's running the ball. Dion has three timeouts. He doesn't use them. He allows Kelly to run the clock out. And you can say, well, it was because he didn't want his son to get hit more in that game. Dion knew the game was over. Well, the game wasn't over. There was still three minutes left. He didn't use his timeouts. If you go back when they were playing USC, same deal. There's like three and a half minutes left. They're down by two possessions with the ball, and they milk the clock themselves on offense and waste away the game with a chance to come back and win. So Dion, Mr. Old School apparently, You're too cool to try for the last two minutes of the game when you're losing. You don't want to be caught trying because that would look lame, I guess. So you swallow the timeouts. You go into the locker room pleased after you hug and kiss Chip Kelly to go in with another Pac-12 loss against a team who was better than you, but you could have 
at least tried at the end. You're going to the boo box. I hate to do it because I love the Dion, Larry. <laughs> Thank you. All right. What, what's next? Oh, we got Big Tad. National Field Goal League Blitz with Big Tad. Brought to you by our good friends at Tink Superior Auto Parts, Larry. Go ahead, Big Tad. National Field Goal League Blitz with Big Tad. Eagles 38, Magic Johnson's 31. Jahan Dotson, thanks for showing up. Jalen Hurts, brotherly shove. More like brother, you fumbled. A.J. Brown, dirty birdie. Sam Howell, Wake Forest ain't walking through that door. Britton Covey, University of Utah stand up. The boys are back, 43, Rams 20. Matthew Stafford, more like Matthew can't afford another performance like this. Matthew Stafford, wah! Dak Prescott, good job, loser. C.D. Lamb, more like C.D. Lions, not lambs. Wait, that sheep. Ray Finkel's 31, Patriots 17. Mac Jones sucks. Mac Jones. Nick called. They're rescinding your diploma. Jalen Ramsey, thanks for showing up. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, more like Tua something good that rhymes with your surname, Aloha. Mike McDaniels, put a... Mike McDaniels, put a collared shirt on. Jags 20, Steelers 10. Steelers haven't played this bad since Bain sung the national anthem. Kenny Pickett, more like Kenny Pick It. Kenny Pick It. Wah. Mitch Trubisky, more like Mitch True that I suck Isky. Seahawks 24, Browns 20. Seattle, Steve Largent called. He wants his ugly uniforms back. PJ Walker, more like PJ Passer. PJ Passer, more like PJ, please just hand it off. Er. Jackson Smith and Jigba, thanks for showing up. P.J. Walker again. Whatever school you went to, the worst team in their conference ain't walking through that door. Ravens 31, Cardinals 21. John Harbaugh, that's the one who doesn't cheat. Josh, Joshua Dobbs, colorblind. Kyler Murray, wah. Nelson Aguilar. This is a ball. Those are your hands. Put them together. Cardinals coach, 12 years old. Bungles 31, Niners 17. Brock Purdy sucks. Candlestick, more like burrow stick. What is it? Levi's, what is it? Levi's Stadium? Levi's Stadium, more like Burroughs Stadium. Jamar Chase, good job. Christian McCaffrey, 17 games in a row with a touchdown. White guy grit. Jets 13, Giants 10. Aaron Rodgers, go to the locker room. Zach Wilson, more like Zach Winson. Tyrod Taylor, wah. Saquon Barkley, more like Saquon Wolfley. Actually, he was okay. Zach Wilson, UTSA, kind of walked through that door. Skull, 24, Packers, 10. Kirk Cousins, wah. Jordan Love, colorblind. Jordan Love, two. Jaron Hall, QBU, stand up. 
Broncos 24, Chiefs 9, Patrick Mahomes. Baylor ain't walking through that door. Dangerous, more like, well, dangerous. Jerry Judy, Steve Smith, line one. Eric Bieniemy, GOAT. Travis Kelsey, sucks. Saints 38, Colts 27, Taysom Hill, QBU, stand up. Rashid Shaheed, Weebcats, stand up and keep standing up. Gardner Minshew, colorblind. Oilers 28, Falcons 23, D-Hop, throw him the dang ball. Desmond Ritter, wham. Will Levis, Mr. Steal Your Job. Will Levis, the frat boy bomber. Ryan Tannehill, more like Ryan. Step into my office, don't bother sitting down a hill. Panthers 15, Texans 13, who cares? Bryce Young, surgical. CJ Stroud, more like CJ something negative that rhymes with Stroud, who cares? Adam Thielen, white guy grit, who cares? See you next week, Sporty. <laughs> the Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. Take a knee, boys. Grab a knee on the Eddie Thompson Show. All right, grab a knee. Helmets on a chair. Everybody gather around. No sitting. Let's start with Utah, Larry. Running back. Here's Nix in the end zone. Touchdown, Ducks. Troy Franklin. All right, there are such things, especially in college football, as mirages in sports. Something that fools you. Something that seems fantastic and great, and then you you feel like a fool less than a week later. USC football is a mirage, and it's been a mirage for the last couple decades. Utah beating USC, we know it now, was a mirage. USC with their big brand, their star power, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, all of these transfer receivers like Brendan Rice and all the whatever. Complete mirage. They win by one point against Cal. Pathetic. Have the 107th defense in the country. Utah ran for 250 yards against them. Their defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, is one of the worst defensive coordinators in the country, Larry. This is a guy who was hired by Mike Leach, the offensive mastermind pirate Mike Leach, to come and be his defensive coordinator at Washington State, a place that plays no defense and has a bend-but-don't-break mentality. He sucked at Oklahoma. He sucked at Ohio State. Oklahoma, if you remember, when he was there with Riley, he's down 42-7 to in the college football playoff at halftime or gave up 42 points at halftime. Maybe it was 42-14 against LSU at half. That was Grinch. Yes. Ohio State, when he was the D.C. there, giving up 50-something points to Maryland and on and on and on. We saw it with USC last year. Sucked on defense. Tulane in their bowl game put up over 40 and then putting up Cal. Going for two, made the right decision as the worst team Lost by one to USC, but still put up 49 points. USC was a mirage win for the Utes. 
to give the pig farmer the ball after Caleb Williams scores, and the pig farmer is able to go down and win the game in like 40 seconds shows how pathetic that USC defense was. So it's not that it wasn't the most enjoyable win for Utah fans of the season. It was that it didn't mean what you thought it meant when it happened. To that point, USC had smacked around Notre Dame, right? Let's go to the next mirage, Larry. The pig farmer, who we know and love, Bryson Barnes. 4-0 as a starter. This was all the crap, right? The mirage stuff. The walk-on story, the no NIL, he works at Lowe's. What a, you know, he's raised 12,000 pigs. The shirts being printed out, the the painted helmets with a pig on it, him riding a pig in the with the U logo. College game day is coming. Everybody wants to talk about the pig farmer, Whittingham comparing him to Caleb Williams. It was an awesome storyline, but you realize that this is the same guy who against Oregon State looked like the most incompetent passer quarterback in the conference. He completed five passes and got benched. That was only a few weeks ago. So as sports fans, we dilute our brains into buying in to these mirages, these narratives that we know aren't true, but game day's here, and we've got a pig farmer, and he's going to go on take on Bo Nix, And Bo Nix was unbelievable. Just sliced and diced him. There wasn't really one point in that game where Utah fans could cheer. I mean, from the very beginning, Nix and Oregon was able to just surgically go through that Utah defense, a top-ranked defense with the Utes. I know Lander Barton's out, but still, I was shocked at Oregon's ability to just go right through that defense, Larry. I don't know if you were. Um, But I think that Utah fans allowed themselves, like all fans do, Larry, to fall for some of this hocus-pocus fool's gold. And we get smarter and smarter as the year goes on. I thought Oregon, I picked Utah to cover in this game because I'm an idiot. I thought Oregon was a paper tiger, hadn't played anybody, lost to Washington, played the worst defenses in the Pac-12 played nobody in the pre-conference schedule, almost lost to Texas Tech, all that stuff. Played Portland State. But they just came out and were so physical. Ran the ball, passed the ball, looked really good. So that's... Dan Lanning, I think, is a, is a great coach. Now, for Utah to somehow get into the Pac-12 championship game, at this point, it's not super complicated, Larry, right? If they went out... How does this work, Lawrence? If if Utah wins out, which means they have to beat Washington, and Oregon wins out, and Washington loses to USC, those are the only three things that have to happen in order for Utah to claim a spot potentially in the Pac-12 championship game. It seems impossible right now if you're a Utah fan thinking of beating Washington Maybe Brandon Rose is going to be back in time for Arizona State. I'm sure Barnes will start, but maybe Brandon uh, Rose gets a look. He's the guy who hasn't played it down, but everybody was talking about how good he looked in spring ball and in camp and all that stuff. So maybe he comes back and they're able to compete uh, against Washington a little bit better in a few weeks. 
Um, anything else on Utah? Just a butt kicking. Just a butt, and it, it was one of the coolest days in probably um, in the program's history. Having game day there, having the McAfee show, having Whittingham come out with his cutoffs on his Harley—that was awesome. Um, you know, 04 when game day was there, when they beat BYU undefeated, go to the Fiesta Bowl. Obviously, the on the field wins are a bigger deal, but just the attention that the university got and the and the positive stuff being said about Coach Whittingham and the Utes, one of the best weekends in program history, even though the game itself was just a complete letdown. And I bought into the defense that they could stop Oregon, they couldn't. Anything else on that one, Larry? Did you fall for the mirage of USC and the pig farmer? No. See, we didn't get your pick, though. So it's easy for you to say no without us having a record. All right, let's go BYU. Murphy throws a deep ball into the end zone. He's got Mitchell, and it's caught. And I Mitchell. My thing with BYU is... There's predestination in college football. And as much as we say any given Saturday and hope's alive and you do it on the field and all that crap, there's predestination in college football. Just like with Moneyball, with Major League Baseball, there's an equation. We need to add this. We need to go get Jeremy Giambi or we need to go get David Justice and we we add him to this lineup with Miguel Tejada and Eric Chavez. And if you add them with these guys and the amount of runs we produce is X divided by the amount of games we play equals 88 wins, which means we should get to the playoffs. So with the math, you have a predetermined win expectation plus or minus a few wins in Major League Baseball. College football is the same thing. You take Keaton Slovis plus a mediocre skill position offense plus first year in the Big 12, plus a soft offensive line, equals six wins. We knew that coming into this year. This recipe, all of those factors, an improved defense with Jay Hill, with this schedule, six wins. That's what we have. They got five wins with a chance, I think, to get to that six win and go bowling. We knew the equation. So people who are calling now for Jake Retzlaff, Retzlaff, the junior college kid to replace Slovis, it's like, no, you went and purchased Slovis so that he could do exactly what he's doing. BYU fans suffer from a, hey, you're not Ty Detmer syndrome, or hey, you're not Steve Young syndrome. No, he's Keaton Slovis. You bought him to bring him over here to win you five or six games in your inaugural Big 12 season, and that's exactly what he's doing. We knew the math equation before the season started. It was predestined, and that's exactly what's happened. Pitt went and bought him from USC and said, hey, we need you to come here and win us eight games or something like that. What is Pitt? Pitt goes nine and four last year. What are they this year without him? Two and six. So he fulfilled his side of the agreement with Pitt and Narduzzi or whoever. Now you hired him to be a mercenary to come to BYU. He's fulfilling his end of the agreement. 
You don't bail on yours now and take him out for the future to develop this Retzloff kid. You keep him in there, and you allow him to fulfill his contract to try to get that sixth win likely against Iowa State. Although, Morgantown, is that that intimidating? They've got to go play West Virginia. I know West Virginia and Neil Brown are outperforming expectations with the Mountaineers. going to be a tough game for BYU. But how dare you think you're going to renege on the deal that you signed with Slovis and pull him after he's done exactly what you thought he was going to do. And he sucked. But you're playing Texas. And you knew you were going to suck against Texas because they're Texas. This was an expected thing. It was part of the equation. Larry, last year, Slovis, 10 touchdowns, 9 picks, 45.9 QBR. This year, 12 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 52.4 QBR. You saw what he did there. You said, that's good enough for here. And now he's performing at that level or a little better here. What did you expect? All right, Larry. By the way, Jay Hill's defense is good. Even though they gave up 35 points to Texas, how many fourth down stops did they make when Sarkeesian, who I liked that he was going for it, but in the red zone, they couldn't convert against BYU. They had some they had some great defensive plays. I, I you know, you got blown out, but overall, defensively, I was like, ah, defense is looking good again. Relatively, you know. All right, who else we got, Larry, in the take and knee thing? Oh, I want to shout out. Okay. Our hero horses in the Pac-12 and the Big 12. And these are teams that have a shot at winning the conference against the upper-tier teams who are abandoning the conference, right? So the USC's who are ruining college football by leaving the Pac-12, and then Washington and Oregon who are leaving. We don't want any of those teams to win the Pac-12, just like the Big 12 doesn't want Texas or Oklahoma to win the Big 12. So let's start with the Big 12. First of all, great job, Kansas, in Lawrence, beating Oklahoma for the first time since Woodrow Wilson was president, probably. There are five teams tied for first place in the Big 12 right now at 4-1, and one, and I think it's got to be Kansas State, who had disappointing losses against Oklahoma State. They lost to Missouri in the non-conference schedule, and people said, oh, Kansas State might suck. But here's what I like about Kansas State. The big win factor against Oklahoma when Riley was there. They beat him two out of three times. They beat him again. They beat Oklahoma again last year. So they're able to win the big one in conference. Two, they pound people. In the dog days of the season, they put it on people. Same thing happened last year. Oklahoma State, they beat like 45 zip. Baylor, they beat 33 to 3 last year. Just a, a couple weeks ago, they won, or a week ago, they won 41-3 against TCU, right? So the blow them out factor mixed with the we beat the big dog equals <laughs> Kansas State has got to be the dog in that conference to not allow Texas or Oklahoma to win it. Now, they've got Oklahoma. Let's see, when do they play? When do they play these guys? They don't have to play Oklahoma. Sorry. They're at Texas this week. So it's a put up or shut up situation for Kansas State, but they've got they've got cojones, Larry. I believe in Kansas State. I believe in the physicality of the Wildcats to go into Austin and beat those Sallies from Texas. 
Um, they don't have to play Oklahoma. They might have to play them in the Big 12 championship game. The other one you can look at is Gundy and Oklahoma State, who are playing a lot better now than they were at the beginning of the season. Um, they've got Oklahoma and Stillwater. They're going to lose that game, though. Don't trust Gundy. If you got to pick one, it's got to be Kansas State. Uh, Pac-12, that's a lot tougher because Washington and Oregon are the cream. Um, USC, it's going to be tough to have Utah or Oregon State win the conference because Oregon State lost to you know Arizona and Tucson. Arizona is and Jed Fish and the boys are playing some ball. So, like I said, Utah would have to win out, which means beating Washington. USC would have to beat Washington, and Oregon would have to win out from here on out for Utah to go play Oregon in the conference championship. Not bloody likely, Larry. Next team, Utah Tech. Another devastating close loss, homecoming. And here's what, here's my thought on Utah Tech, and I'll say the same thing about SUU. There's a couple of phases that you got to pass through when you jump up a level. Phase one is compete, and instead of getting blown out, compete and play play in close games. Play in five, six close games a year, maybe. Right now, Utah Tech is in the phase of, hey, we're playing in some close games, exciting one-possession games. Once we get into conference, we're done with Montana, Montana State, and these schools, Colorado State. We get into the UAC, we're going to play one-possession games for the most part. The problem is they've got a losing record as of now. They're one and two. They've got a shot in their last three games, I think, to maybe win two out of the three, finish three and three in the UAC in close games. So they're playing close games, but they're right now they've got a losing record in those one-possession games. So if it's a 50-50 game the last three games, hopefully you can flip it on its head and win two and lose one or, heck, win all three of them. Last year, they only had three close games, but they had a 2-1 and one record. They beat Stephen F. Austin, beat Tarleton, and lost to Sam Houston in close games last year. Had a 500 record in conference. This year, they played three one-possession games. They beat Stephen F., They lost to North Alabama. They lost to Eastern Kentucky. If they can beat Abilene, which I think they can, SUU hammered them. If they can beat Austin P, and then a toss-up game against SUU, going to be a fun way to end the season. If they can finish 500 again in conference at this point, that's a success. At the beginning of the season, you'd say, no, that's that's what we did last year. Even though it's kind of a new conference with new teams, let's try to get a winning record in conference. Still a possibility for Utah Tech, but would have loved to. You had to win that game. You had to beat Eastern Kentucky. And North Alabama, love going for two, but that's another one. That was another game that's just painful to think about. Anything else on Utah Tech? All right, let's go SUU. Here's Coach Delaney Fitzgerald in his postgame presser. Pretty happy for our coaching staff. Coach, all the close losses this year. 
for them. And then our defense shut them out. Our defense was able to turn them over three times, which was the difference in the game today. And then our defense shut them out in the second half. Um, that really, really happy for the young men in our football program. Really happy for our coaching staff. Coach, all the close losses this year, and then you come out. Why well, you have to start first? Right. First thing out of your mouth, something negative. First thing. Let's talk about today. How much better does it feel? So that's the coach fit. Sorry, the audio wasn't great, uh, given our guy Spencer McLaughlin a hard time. After a rousing victory for the T-Birds, rush for 313 yards and a dominating performance for SUU. They've played five close games, Larry. So if we look at the same metric, one-score games, they played five this year. They're one and four. You go back to Arizona State, UC Davis, and in a couple others. Five games, one and four. Put the smack down on Abilene this past week and have a chance to end the season the last few weeks on a high note. They're playing good football and running for 313. Coach Fitz was thrilled about that. Fantastic. All right, next topic, Larry. The Sport Hole. Sports, 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 sports. Two-minute drill. Presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paints. To the five, to the two, diving, touchdown! All right, well, congratulations to Desert Hills and Crimson Cliffs for surviving the last two Region 9 teams in the state tournament. Yes, it sucks. But the bracket was horrible this year, and all these Region 9 teams had to knock each other out. But I've covered that uh, nonstop on this show for the last few days. So I don't want to hammer that. What I want to evaluate is the RPI. And what we learned from... 4A, 5A, and 6A this year is upsets are possible. We have this math equation, and we say math equation make the matchups perfect. We want to see chalk. We want to see in the quarterfinals 1-8 versus, and then 4-5 and then 2-7 and then 3-6, right? That means you're a genius RPI if you can put it exactly right because we don't want any fun. We don't want any any surprises. We don't want any of that. We want it to be chalk, 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 chalk. And what we learned is the RPI ain't perfect, Larry. You look at 4A, did a great job. I mean, she did a great job, and we'll try to get her on the phone tomorrow to talk to her about this. But six of the eight teams are chalk. There's two that aren't. Desert Hills, the 10 seed, who beat the 7 seed Snow Canyon. little upset there. Payson over Provo. And that's a pretty big pooch because Payson's the 13 seed and they beat Provo the three seed. It was a close game in the regular season, but Payson clearly underrated. How did it happen? Provo turned the ball over like banshees, right? Interception plus three fumbles lost by the quarterback allowed Payson to win. And Provo, I was probably homering my analysis of where they should be put in the seeding, but... They barely lost to Tempview by a score. They they smacked Timpanogos, beat them big, beat Olympus, 6-0 in region. So hard for me to argue against their seeding, but then you lose to Payson. And the RPI looks foolish on that one, Larry. 5A, 6 out of 8 teams they got correct, the RPI. The 11 seed won and the 10 seed won. 6A, they got seven out of eight teams. The only non-invited guest to the corner finals is the number 10 seed, Lone Peak. 
And 6A has a kind of similar situation at the very top that 4A does, where people think the two seed is better than the one seed. Corner Canyon's the two seed, right? Their only loss is to Bishop Gorman. American Fork is the one seed, even though they lost to Lone Peak. So we'll see how that plays out. We're all cheering for American Fork. We don't want Corner Canyon to win. But I would give the RPI a B plus. You know, if if she gets one, uh, two, three, four in the semifinals, we'll reevaluate. But right now, it's a clean tournament. But fun, unexpected stuff can still happen a little bit. Let's not go crazy. We got a 13 seed in this in the quarterfinals. That's great. But everything else pretty much chalk. Did you call her or did you set that up with the RPI secretary yet, Larry? No. Trying to get her on tomorrow, right? Yes. All right. See if you can do that. All right, next topic, buddy. What up, buddy? You're not very bright, are you? Andy versus Randy. As we do every Monday, we welcome in my twin brother, Randy, to give us his constructive compliments about the program. Randy, what's going on, buddy? Thanks for calling. What up, buddy? How are you? Happy Monday. Pretty crappy weekend for the boys, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was awful. Well, I was um, I was a little taken aback at game day because Utah, or was it McAfee's show? I forget. What part? The uh, U fans chanting bleep BYU. Yeah. I just think it was a bad, embarrassing look for Utah fans. I right. think there's a lot of Utah fans who are embarrassed by that. Were you and, surprised, though? I guess is my question. Like, if South Carolina is yelling F Clemson. No, well, I, I think it would be considered classless if it regardless. was South Carolina or if it was, you know, any one of these. Well, I agree yeah, that I, I think agree, it is. I agree that it would be classless. I guess my I think it is regardless. I think UCLA, Cal. Yeah. It's just a bad look for the school, I agree it's right? a bad look, but are you surprised, I guess, is my point. Like, what do you expect? I don't know what my expectation was. It's just, well, whatever that, whatever my expectation was is irrelevant. The point is it's an embarrassing look for the program. Well, I think your level of expectation needs to be calibrated differently then. If this was so unexpected that they would Well, just because embar- I, just because they're fans doesn't mean they have to accept it. They should criticize it if they think it's lame. I think it's lame too. I think that should be criticized. It's All just right. not surprising. We'll see okay. you. All right, fine. See you Bye-bye. later. Bye. The Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. Were you surprised, Larry, at the FBYU thing? No. I wasn't either. I, I think that there is a large contingent of Utah fans who were kind of surprised. And my thing has been Utah fans, especially since the Pac-12 jump, a large percent of Utah fans, just like a large percent of any, you know, he brought up South Carolina Clemson or, you know, UCLA, USC. Um, they're going to chant the same thing about their rival. And I think Utah fans feel like um, I don't know. They're they're above that. 
Like, we don't have drunk, stupid, obnoxious fans at Utah. And it's like, have you been to a Utah game? It's just, there's no, there's no difference, I guess is my point. Do you think that you're BYU adjacent when it comes to your fans? I mean, BYU fans are obnoxious in their own, just like every fan base is obnoxious in their own way, but in a different way. BYU's not going to chant F the youths, but Utah is. Utah's not a church school. They don't have some sort of higher whatever. They're a public school. And they've got a, a large contingent of their fans who are obnoxious, and so does every other fan base. So it wasn't surprising to me as it seems like it was surprising to other people. Um, you know. And I think it it fuels, you know, the, the rivalry is a big deal. And Utah fans hate BYU fans and vice versa. Utah fans just might express it a different way. Um, and when I say BYU fans are... BYU fans are annoying in a... I think Utah fans always perceive BYU fans as being annoying in kind of the entitled way or the um, whiny way or um, we expect whatever. And now Utah is kind of in that position where they've been good for so long. Now they might become the, in the post-Whittingham era, just like BYU and the post-Lavelle Edward got entitled and super high expectations and stuff that I make fun of. Uh, Utah fans might be looking down the barrel of that in three years where they've got these expectations and everybody's like, dude, the 80s are gone kind of for BYU. And for Utah, it's going to be, dude, the early you know, the mid-2000s are gone probably in a few years. So um, they're they're both annoying in different ways. Do you agree with that, Larry? Yes. Thank you. Next topic. What do we got? I think we can re- relate this back to education and how we are continuing to try to strive to... <laughs> Thank you, Utah. Thank you, sweetheart. Genius or Jabroni mm. in the sport hole. Genius or Jabroni brought to you by our good friends at Novage. You wash your ears, why not your nose? Novage. All right, Larry. Who do we got? Who's the genius? Oh, we got uh, Clay Travis. This, is what, this thing went buck wild over the weekend. Something that I've said. But only after a couple of uh, Baja blasts on a weekend amongst friends. It's locker room talk, Larry. Travis says it. I, I actually think I've said this, too, on the radio. But Here's Clay Travis from uh, OutKick. Go ahead, Larry. You got that? I've said this for a long time. It is 100% true. A good state championship caliber high school boys team would smoke the best team in the WNBA. I would bet my entire uh, savings in the bank that the boys high school team would beat the WNBA team. Okay, so I'm, I'm to say whether he's a genius or jabroni. Yes. I agree with what he's... I mean, it's, it's not even... Uh, 
this shouldn't be controversial. It shouldn't be an argument. It reminds me of when um, John McEnroe was asked, hey, why don't you just say Serena Williams is the best player in the world? And he says, well, because she wouldn't beat the 150th best man in the world. And everybody, you know, roasted him for that. But Serena, I don't think did. Because Serena's like, oh, you know what? I played an exhibition match against a, a professional uh you know, men's player, and, you know, he beat me in straight sets type of deal. This shouldn't be an argument. It's unfortunate that this has to be a uh, an argument for women's basketball. And it, it reminds me of something Steve Jobs once said about Microsoft, which is when he came back and took over Apple again, he said, Apple forgot who Apple was. And they said, and he said, if it was a zero-sum game and only one of us could win, Apple or Microsoft, there's no way we're going to beat Microsoft. We have to do what Apple does, right? And so my message as the new commissioner of the WNBA is we're not trying to be the NBA. We're not trying to beat the NBA. There's, we're never going to do that. We're not going to compare ourselves with men's basketball or the NBA. What we're going to do is what women's basketball does. And we're going to look at our position in the basketball world like we're a company on Amazon. We're not going to go after the big multi-million. We're not going to go after Stanley Muggs because they've, they're have they dominating that market share for Muggs. We're going to make something else, right? And what we're going to sell to the basketball consumer is all the crap you hate about the NBA, we're going to do it the way you like it. You don't like that they huck up 53s a game? Guess what? We don't do that. We work the ball inside. We work the high post. We run a motion offense. You don't like that they flop like soccer players? Good. We don't do that. We're against flopping. We don't put up with any of that crap. You hate the foul baiting, the James Harden stuff? We don't do that. We play real basketball in the WNBA. And guys that know basketball, like Bobby Knight always used to say this, and others say, look, you watch the WNBA game itself, and it's a beautiful symphony of movement, and they're you know playing fundamentally right now. It's not nearly as entertaining as the men's game because the men have guys like LeBron and others, John Moran, doesn't exist in the WNBA, where they're just doing athletic feats nobody in the world can do except them. Of course, you're going to choose to watch that. But the WNBA can sell themselves kind of like Major League Baseball does, where Major League Baseball says, look, we're a cerebral game. We're a chess match. And if you want the high acrobatics and pyrotechnics of dunks and all that stuff, we can't compete with that. We don't have a guy as athletic as John Moran. We don't have a guy as athletic as, uh, you know, Blake Griffin back in the day. But if you like the intricacies of what makes the game of baseball beautiful, you can watch baseball and enjoy it. The WNBA should play more that route when these arguments come up. If you want to go watch lazy, flat-footed, 45 three-pointers a game, no defense, who gives a crap, Go watch the dub, go watch the NBA. If you want to watch a slower, you know, less athletic version, yes, but if you appreciate the essence of of James Na- James Naismith's game, come and watch a WNBA game. That's where they need to position themselves, not 
Yes. Like uh, Brittany Griner saying, I want to take you on one-on-one to, uh, who was it, Boogie Cousins or something. That's not how you do it because you lose that argument every time. Just like if you're in the argument with Clay Travis saying a, a varsity state championship boys varsity team would be the WNBA team, that's correct. They would. Don't get into that argument. It's not a zero-sum game. That doesn't take away from your game. Your game is is its own thing. Celebrate it for what it is. Thank you, Larry. <clears throat> Was I diplomatic enough, Lawrence? Was I politically correct yes. enough? I'm not trying to be politically correct. I'm trying to be the, a great commissioner for the WNBA and be honest. Thank you. Yes. All right, what do we got? Our Gus Award? We got to hurry. And gentlemen, this week's Gus Johnson Award goes to... Could tie it with one swing. High drive! It's tied! All right, Joe Davis, congratulations. Game one of the World Series. And that wasn't even the most impressive part, I would say, Larry. It was a good call. And he deserves the ten dollars uh, gift certificate to Angelica's Mexican Grill, and we'll, 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 you know, get that to him. But the most impressive part of his call was what he said five seconds before that, which is Seeger likes a high pitch. If he sees a high pitch, you got the previously previous guy out on a high fastball. If you throw that same high pitch to Seeger, we've seen him get on top and drill that. That's what he said right before the first pitch. The first pitch he sees is a high fastball. He drills it into the upper deck. So, Joe Davis, great film study, buddy. Enjoy. Where's he going? Oh, Angelica's. Not Island Grinds this week, Angelica's. That's the sport hole. We'll be back right after this. You're in the sport hole with Andy Thompson on ESPN 97.7. 